examples of peasants, warriors, kings, and the journey of a man in pop culture and history. The story of King David. David is the personification of the scrappy dog who defeats the giant. His life story goes far beyond one battle. He was literally a peasant, spending much of his youth tending sheep, but he also developed his other skills, including being an excellent musician, which caught the attention of one of King Saul's servants, and this led him to becoming Saul's armor's bearer. When Goliath challenged King Saul to send a champion, David volunteered, refusing to wear heavy armor or use weapons he wasn't familiar with. He stood unprotected and unafraid against the giant Philistine. Goliath laughed at David and lowered his guard, presenting David with the perfect target to sling a river rock into his face, slaying his enemy. After defeating Goliath, David led his army in wars against the Philistines. He became such a legendary warrior that songs were written about him that proclaimed that he was ten times the warrior that King Saul was. When Saul was killed, it was David who took his throne and became the king. As king, David had everything he wanted. But one day, he looked outside his window and saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. He was overcome with lust. This woman was married to one of his elite soldiers, Uriah the Hitty. But that didn't stop David from calling her into his chambers and making her his. Later on, they found out that she was pregnant and David wanted to hide his infidelity, ordered Uriah home so he could wash his feet with his wife. The next strategy that David came up with was to send Uriah in the front of the line and ask his general to withdraw the man so Uriah's death in the battle would be inevitable. After David's plan succeeded, he made Bathsheba his wife. At that moment, King David entered into his tunnel. He felt guilt and shame for what he had done, and he stopped praying to God. Even though he was a king, he was filled with doubt and uncertainty. Many years passed, and he tried to make up for what he did by building temples and performing ceremonies, but in the end, he had to face his pain, take responsibility, surrender to God, and find the gift in his pain. Many years passed, and he tried to make up for what he did by building temples and performing ceremonies, but in the end, he had to face his pain, take responsibility, surrender to God, and find the gift in his pain. For this mistake, Bathsheba birthed a son named Solomon, who became one of the greatest and wisest men ever to walk earth. God promised David that he would bless his son, and Solomon would become an even greater king than his father. This is a perfect example of how warriors think that they are kings until they go through the tunnel and find the gift in their pain to become a true king and leave a legacy. Conor McGregor's Journey Conor McGregor has made his journey from peasant to king largely in the public eye. He was raised in Crumbling, a poor suburb in Dublin, Ireland, the son of a taxi driver. He longed to fight his way to fame and fortune. In the peasant stage of his life, he began to apprentice as a plumber, but he quit so he could put all his energy into fighting. He won the warrior within him and won several regional championships on his way to the UFC. His trash talk in self-promotion and ferocious left hook made him one of the most polarizing figures in the sport. He made history by defeating featherweight champion Jose Aldo, who had been undefeated for 10 years in only 13 seconds. He made history again by going up a weight class and becoming the first simultaneous two-division champion. McGregor stepped away from the UFC, but not from fighting. He fought boxing legend Floyd Money Mayweather in a match that was more respectable than a sport, and he made close to $100 million, despite losing by a TKO in the 10th round. At this moment, he had more money than he ever dreamed of. He was UFC's number one attraction, and like most men that reach certain levels of success, he began to lose the edge that gave him the success in the first place. As Marvin Gaye once said, it's hard to get up at 5.30 and go running when you're sleeping in silk pajamas. McGregor's return to UFC was less than triumph. He trash talked to opponent Khabib Nurmagov crossed the line, insulting his family and his religion. In the middle of the fight, Kano threw a moving dolly to a bus that Khabib's teammate was riding on 
and injured two fighters who have nothing to do with him. During the fight, Kano cheered like crazy, and his teammate held racial slurs during the fight the whole time. Khabib humiliated Connor by choking him out, and then he flew into a rage at Connor's corner. The night ended with a bench-clearing brawl and was an embarrassing moment for everyone involved. He and his partner welcomed a child, but then he was voted the most hated person in newspaper poll. He was ready the highest-paid athlete, but then made headlines when he sucker-punched a 50-year-old man who turned down a drink. He was clearly going through a sedated warrior stage. Two years after the Khabib disaster, he returned to the octagon to face journeyman fighter Donald Cabo's own. Connor acted different as usual in the run-up to the match. Instead of talking trash, Connor was very respectful to Cowboy. He also abstained from alcohol during training. When fight night came, Connor looked spectacular. After a few seconds into the first round, he slammed his shoulder into Cowboy's face, which caught Cowboy completely by surprise. He followed up with more soldier slams than a big kick. Then he swarmed Cowboy for the victory. In only 40 seconds, Connor showed that he could fight like a king. Not only that, but he was humble in a victory and even shared a friendly hug with Cowboy's grandmother. The first person Connor thanked was Tony Robbins. Tony had pushed Connor to face his pain of losing and use it as fuel to create a different version of himself, one who doesn't need to prove anything but who knows who he is. But that's what Connor showed up as a king in the fight. Not only time will tell if he could create a legacy outside the fighting or if he goes back through the tunnel as a sedated warrior. Insights from the Rocky movie franchise. In the Rocky films, Rocky Balboa started as a peasant. Although he longs to be a contender, he's content to be in the muscle for a local loan shark for a living. When he gets his chance to fight champion Apollo Creed, he pushes himself to become a warrior. By Rocky III, he is a champion, but he has sedated himself with the trappings of fame and fortune. He loses the title to Clubber Lang and faces his own tunnel. With the help of his wife Adrian and his former rival turned friend Apollo, Rocky is able to face the pain of his self-doubt and learns to turn pain into fuel. He regains the eye of the tiger, the edge, and fights as a king against Clubber Lang and later Ivan Drago. In the spin of Sirius Creek, Rocky is now the Elder King, passing on his knowledge to Apollo's son, Adonis Creed. The character Polly, Rocky's friend and brother-in-law, stays in the peasant stage for six movies. Throughout the franchise, he tries to steal credit for things he didn't do. He's jealous of Rocky's success, and he always blames the very people who want to help him for holding him back. In an intimate moment with Rocky, he admits that he always wishes he had been more like him. Although it's never explicitly stated, his behavior is consistent with growing up with an abusive father. He turns to alcohol for comfort and never faces his pain. In his old age, he looks back with regret of how little he accomplished. We first meet Apollo Creed when he is a warrior. He suffers setbacks by being unable to beat Rocky in two fights. But he's able to grow and become friends with his former adversary in Rocky III. In Rocky IV, he explicitly says, We're the warriors, and without some war to fight, the warrior might as well be dead. He has lost his purpose and he's going through the tunnel. He's even cheating on his wife. Unfortunately, Apollo did not survive his tunnel. He gets in the ring with a younger and much stronger Ivan Drago, and Drago kills him in the ring. All three of these characters are examples of the journey of a man. The journey takes work every step of the way. Apollo never puts the work to help himself, but he's a loyal friend to Rocky and he has the courage to say uncomfortable truths. Apollo's creed's infidelity birthed Adonis, and Rocky was able to fulfill his legacy by helping his friend's son become a warrior, and eventually a king. The story of Luke Skywalker. In the Star Wars franchise, we meet Luke Skywalker as a peasant. He yearns for adventure, and he's constantly looking to the stars and wishing for excitement. Over the course of the original trilogy, he becomes a Jedi warrior and finds his edge by trusting in the Force. He's able to defeat the Emperor 
and bring freedom to the galaxy and balance the Force. He's known as the Last Jedi. In the new trilogy, starting with The Force Awakens, we find that he has become a sedated warrior. He has secluded himself on a distant planet, hiding from everyone. He is filled with uncertainty and doubt, and he lost his connection with the Force. He has lost his edge. When Rey finds him and asks him to train her, he refuses to tell her that he doesn't have it in him to do it anymore. Later on, we find out why. He's living with guilt and regret for trying to kill his nephew, Ben Solo, when he senses the strength of the dark side in him. All this time, Luke had trained to be the light, and he's afraid of the dark side taking over him. That's one of the main reasons men lose the edge. Only when Luke faces his darkness, he's able to help Rey and transcend from a student to a master, bringing balance to the Force once again. Angels from the movies Gladiator and 300. To illustrate how the actions of a warrior and the actions of a king can be similar, but the motivational results can be different, I want to compare the protagonists of two movies, Gladiator and 300. One of my favorite scenes of Gladiator is the beginning scene, where Maximus is leading the front lines and yelling the words, Unleash Hell. As the battle ends, the Romans are victorious, and everyone is cheering. As he goes back to the camp, he meets with the emperor, Marcus Aurelius, who is now getting old. He looks at Maximus as a proud general and asks Maximus, What do you want? Maximus replies, There are no other battles to fight. We have won the war. Rome is the biggest empire the world has ever seen. I would like to go home and take care of my farm, my wife, and my son. The emperor chuckles. Maximus the farmer. That would be a sight to see. But I have one last favor to ask you. I want you to lead Rome. I want you to take power so you can peacefully transition it to the Senate. You must become the next emperor to do so. Maximus hesitates. He's not a man who's looking for power, but that's why the emperor said it must be him. He gives him until sunrise to give him the answer. The next morning... The emperor was dead. His son Commodus killed him when he told him the plans he had for Maximus. So he sent his soldiers to kill Maximus, burn his house down, and kill his family. Maximus manages to escape, but it's also too late to save his family. At that moment, he's filled with rage, and all he wants to do is kill the man who killed his wife and son. He becomes a gladiator, and his whole purpose of life is to seek revenge. Everyone cheers for him in the arena, but he's filled with hatred and rage. He knows deep inside that his hesitation... Not having the courage to lead as an emperor when it was asked of him cost him everything. And he died as a true warrior, only seeking to win the battle to fill the void that he had inside. He died the death of a warrior in the arena, but didn't leave a legacy. Compare that to kill Leonidas as depicted in 300. A Persian messenger comes to Sparta, demanding earth and water as a token of to the total submission to King Xerxes. Although the messenger gives an appearance of a peaceful negotiator, Leonidas knows that Xerxes a self-proclaimed god-king, is cruel and corrupt. Leonidas throws his messenger down the deep well. Killing a messenger is a grave crime, but he did it anyway to send a clear message to Xerxes. The Spartans are the wrong ones with whom to fuck with. His fate sealed, but lacking public support to prepare for war, Leonidas launches a spectacular display of Spartan military might. He leads 300 elite soldiers to Thermopylae to meet an army so vast that the rear guard is still in Persia when the front lines reach the battlefield. Thermopylae is a series of narrow passes. It's the perfect spot to neutralize a large Persian army. But eventually, Xerxes' spies learn of a secret path that will allow them to surround the Spartans. King Leonidas, realizing that the battle was lost, sends his allies and a few of his remaining soldiers home to tell the story. Leonidas, a great king, has sound tactical judgment and political savvy. His sacrifice buys the Spartans valuable time and public support, and the legend of his last stand 
helps them unite all of Greece. Being a true king, Leonidas sees the gift even in a hopeless situation. He knows his last stand will make an impact and create a legacy. He doesn't want glory or riches. He only wants his story to be known. He loves Sparta more than he values his own life, but he also squeezes everything he can out of his sacrifice. Although Xerxes wins the battle, Greece wins the war against the Persians because of King Leonidas. In the end, warriors will die in the battlefield, and kings will live forever. As a man, finding his king's code is a difference between life and death.